Let's pray together. Gracious Lord, gather us together in your presence, for we thank you that you are here. Open our hearts and our minds, Lord, to you. Form in us that which you desire, for we yield to your authority. We ask that you would be Lord, and so we say, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening, for it is in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, that we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Yesterday, I had the joy of ordaining eight people down at the cathedral. It was a big diocesan event. Tom was there. Tracy was there. It was wonderful. And I gathered, we gathered everybody to pray before the service started, meaning everybody that was in the processional. And there were so many people in the procession, we had to do it in another room. So here they were all lined up. And it was ordination. I mean, everybody was really excited about what was going to happen. And I said this before I started praying. I said, you know, there are three things that are going on in this service. One is trying to find a way to do this well, liturgically correct, saying all of the right language, people standing at the right place at the right time, the music going well. And that's actually not unimportant. It actually is very real, really important. Because imagine what would happen if somehow the band was up here and they were leading in worship and one guy just dropped his guitar because his strap broke. That would actually more or less grind things to a halt, wouldn't it? I mean, even if you were sort of over here in the presence of God, when you heard that crash, you would open your eyes. That would get your attention. And so having things flow smoothly is actually an important thing. It aids in the capacity to worship. But the second thing that goes on is just that, the Holy Spirit moving in our midst, doing what He wants to do as we gather in His name. Now, obviously, the hope is, is that what we're doing in terms of the form and the liturgy and what the Holy Spirit wants to do, mesh. They come together and God uses what's happening liturgically to deal with us personally and to speak to us corporately. Sometimes that happens, sometimes that doesn't. Are you there? Don't look so glum. You see, it is possible to do all of the form right, whether we're talking actually traditionally or more contemporary, and yet still fall prey to the verse that Jesus quoted when he talked to those who were gathered around him. And what he said was, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Because you see, what God wants, what is important to the Lord, is, yeah, it should be a blessing to all of us in the way that we move and flow together. But where the Holy Spirit really wants to move and operate is right in here. And we can actually use the form, whatever it might be, to, to keep us from allowing our hearts to engage with God rather than it being a vehicle for it. You can say all of the liturgy perfectly. Every single chord on the piano and the instruments would line right up. Everybody would remember all of the lyrics. 
And yet you can, in fact, walk out of that church service without actually engaging God in your heart at all. Now, the hope is that doesn't, that, that doesn't happen because, honestly, when Jesus said their hearts are far from me, he was not saying that there's a commendation. He was saying, what's up with you people? And so there's what God wants to do. There's what the form is. And then, actually, it's what happens inside of us. Sometimes we're aware of the Holy Spirit really working and moving inside a service and moving inside of here. Other times, God is at work, but we're not particularly aware of it. It may come later, or we may not, it may not just be for us. Can I tell you how many times I have stood up and preached a sermon, and I felt like, oh, that was a dud. And I'm at the back, and somebody comes and says, that was exactly what the Holy Spirit was saying to me, thank you. In other words, just because we're feeling or not feeling doesn't necessarily mean that the Holy Spirit is or is not moving. We live in a culture that thinks with their feelings. What we feel actually determines what we think, which is actually kind of, I mean, a friend of mine from Tennessee would say, that's cattywampus, means it's all upside down. Because sometimes God moves and we're just not aware of it at all. And it doesn't mean we're not paying attention. So, liturgy, what we're doing, the forum, the songs, regardless of it's traditional or contemporary or some sort of hybrid, that's one level. The second level is what God is doing in our midst. And the third level is our participation in it and what happens with us. What I want to talk about for a minute is a way to gear into our participation in it. Are you with me? And it goes, it is in the collect that I prayed at the very beginning of the service. Actually, what the collect is, it's quoting a verse of Scripture, but we'll get to that. Grant us, O Lord, to trust in you with all of our hearts. In other words, we're asking God to do something in us that we cannot do for ourselves. We're asking God to change us so that we trust more deeply in Him than we have in the past. Grant us, O Lord, in other words, we need it, please give it to us, to trust in you with all of our hearts. And why is that so important? And this is where the Scripture comes in. For you always resist the proud who confide in their own strength. Now, I want to say to you, you don't want God resisting you. That's him fighting against you. You don't want God fighting against you. You can call it an attack of the enemy all you want. You can rebuke it, and you can command it to leave in the name of Jesus. And if it's God who's doing it, it's not going anywhere. You see, that is one of the ways that we resist because we think if something bad happens to us, we, are, we assume that it's an attack of the enemy. That's actually just not true. There are occasions when Satan does come around and attack. I'm not denying that at all. But sometimes God uses tough circumstances to get our attention about places in our hearts and lives that need to change. And that's him resisting the proud. That's what God is doing in that moment. Because you see, God's desire, what is God up to in sort of a sentence? 
the commitment that God has made to you, if you've said yes to Jesus Christ, is to conform you to the image of his son. That's what the scripture teaches. In other words, this is not about you becoming a certain kind of person. It is, in fact, you being, you being conformed to Jesus, that kind of person. And God is relentless in trying to make sure that no matter what's going on in your life, even if you're trying to duck him, like Jonah, remember, he's going to come after you. Why? Not because he's mean, but because he loves you. He knows that the place where the power of his presence is, the place where his love and forgiveness is felt most deeply, the place where you walk with a sense of purpose is to know in that moment that you are utterly dependent upon him. Jesus put it this way, I can do nothing but what I see my father doing. And if that's the level of dependence that Jesus had on his heavenly father, that's what God is working in us. Lord, today's the day. What do you want me to do? What are you doing today? How can I be a part of what it is that you are doing? And we say that, and if we really mean it, that means regardless of what's on my calendar, regardless of what my schedule says I'm supposed to be doing. And in fact, sometimes the sweetest or sometimes the most frustrating parts of the day is when we are interrupted, and that can be just as much the hand of God as us showing up on time for a nine o'clock appointment. In other words, there's a level of availability that God is asking of us because that's what he wants. He wants to draw near to us. He wants us to draw near to him, not fight against him, and allow him to shape us even when it is not easy, even when it's difficult, even when it's downright painful. And if you think you're going to escape that one, there's no plan B. Because you see, we are by our very nature very stubborn and independent people. And so God has to work that out of us so that the second part of the prayer begins to happen. While on the one hand, he resists the proud who confide in their own strength, so what you never forsake those who make their boast of your mercy. In other words, you and I know what is in our hearts most of the time. We don't know all of it. Only God can actually break in and reveal to us the truth about ourselves. We always have a tendency either to actually be too harsh or to let ourselves off the hook. Either way, that may or may not reflect the work of God in our lives. We need God to break in and show us who we really are. And as that begins to happen, and as we begin to see who he is, who Jesus is, what begins to happen, the natural fruit of that kind of work is humility. God, I don't deserve any of this. I know what's in my heart, and yet you want to do that? What? In other words, we're baffled by the mercies of God. We are charmed by the mercies of God. We are enamored with the mercies of God because we know so deeply within us that they are not deserved, that I'm not qualifying, and in fact, I'm never going to qualify. The heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can know it? That's not just their hearts. <laughs> it's your heart. 
It's my heart. I need God to do a work in me that I cannot do for myself. And so that's the cry of this prayer, that God would grant, grant, because I can't do it for me, the capacity to be able to say yes to his mercies and to walk in his mercies. You see, without the mercies of God manifest and the gratitude that arises from us, this kind of music is just cheerleading. That doesn't get to the heart of the matter. Only God can do a work in us that we cannot do for ourselves. And because that's the case, we both cry out for it, and we say yes to whatever the price that work is, because I want to be one of those people who makes his boast in the mercies of God. Because I know that I can stand here forgiven. I know that I stand here with the promise of eternal life. I stand here with the mercies of God in my life, in the life of my family, in what happens in my home. That's, that's what I count on. You know, if I don't have that, I don't have anything. No matter how hard I try, it's really more about yielding, you see, than it is trying. And if I don't begin to understand that I am the object of that kind of pervasive mercy, I will never, ever, ever do the things that have been asked of me in the Scriptures this morning. James, about caring for the poor and working out for those who are in need, serving them. I won't even see them because I'll be so preoccupied with everything that I have to do that my eyes won't be open to the need beyond me at all because after all, who's going to take care of me if I don't? I'm the center of my own universe. Do you hear the arrogance of that? And yet, that is normal life for most of us. It's all about doing the things that are on our list and paying attention. Sisters and brothers, the world believes that, but that is not it. What is it is being available, being available for God to use you wherever you are. And if I know that I'm the recipient of his mercy, that's what opens my heart to see other people who are in need of that kind of mercy. Compassion begins to flow out of me. My heart begins to change. I know I am not my own. I get connected with people because I see the need. It's like my eyes have been opened. If I haven't allowed God to do the work in here, I'll never see out there. And when that happens, I'll hear the James lesson about caring for people in need, and I'll kind of go, I don't have time for that. I'm glad our church has a fund that helps take care of people who are in that kind of need, but I'm too busy. Are you hearing me that that kind of attitude is, in fact, symptomatic of a self-centered life that doesn't understand, nor much less have received much in the way of the mercy of God. One who is a recipient of the mercies of God is very quick to say, Lord, what would you have me do? That's very different from saying, I don't have time. So what I would encourage you to consider today is, where's your heart? Where's your heart? What about your relationship with Christ? Have you had the courage 
and it takes courage, to say, oh Lord, work in me your mercies, that which you desire. Make room in my life for the needs of other people. Help me to be someone that you use in your service. I want to be available for you because I want to tell you, if you begin to make those kinds of prayers, the prayers of your life, God will do it. He'll, he'll move around in your heart. He'll begin to open your eyes to see the need. And you'll even hear from time to time the Holy Spirit go, now, now. Sometimes you'll act on it. Sometimes you'll be too afraid. And you'll say, oh God, I'm so sorry. I, I knew it was you. I just couldn't get up the courage. The Lord is very generous. He'll give you another chance and another chance. Until finally you're so sick of letting go and not doing it, you'll say, okay, this time I'm in. And he'll begin to form in you the life of a person who is available, the life of a servant, because that's who we are. We are his servants, come to do his bidding, not get my life done. So hear the scriptures this morning. And know that God is opening an invitation for you and for me to live a life that has genuine purpose. It's not about being fulfilled. It's not even about having a certain kind of feeling when I'm in church. It's about being available for God to use you. Because that's where the joy is. That's where the heartbreak can be. That's where the challenge is. That's where the power of God is manifested. You can be an armchair Christian, but there'll be a dullness inside that you won't be able to escape. Why settle for that? Listen to the words and be one of those who says, grant in me, O Lord, to be able to not confide in my own strength, but for me, O Lord, to be able to make a boast in your mercies and out of that begin to give them away. Amen.